0: episode of this podcast, we stated that our goal was to present something that represented what this campus was talking about. This week, we had a really good podcast plan for you. I was going to talk about movies, I had already recorded it, it was going to be a lot of fun. But on Tuesday, Donald Trump was chosen as the next president of the United States, and it hit this campus pretty hard. On Wednesday, and on Thursday, and probably for a long time, that is what this campus is and will be talking about. So we changed our plan. This episode of The Dive, our fourth, will be committed to Trump's election and how this campus feels about it. Thanks to social media, we already have a taste. On Wednesday morning, Facebook was inundated with very long, often very personal posts about Trump and about the future of this country. Just look at my own timeline. It was hard. Like, outside of the grossly controlling and ever-expanding realm of politicism that's taking over this country, like, it was just hard as a person to read. It's hard to see your friends in pain. Keep in mind, the Dimeback reported that of the almost 2,200 students that voted in Stamps Grand Ballroom Tuesday, a large number of them casted a vote for Hillary Clinton. This is a liberal area of the country, and yes, there was anger online. One girl on my timeline straight up asked those Facebook friends of hers that voted for Trump to just defriend her. And another kid shared a post that said, fuck Trump and his ugly-ass kids, too. But way more than that, the messages were not about Donald Trump, and they didn't deal with policy either. On the day after the election, young people weren't posting about abortion or Russia or the wall. They were posting about bigger things, like safety and the future and fear. Most of all, they posted about love. Love each other, posts read, be kind to each other, take care of each other. Our episode today will be presented in four parts. We begin outside of McKeldin Library, right in the heart of this campus, our campus, where some students gathered the night after we named a president-elect to talk about how best to take on this new future.
1: Campus was quiet on the morning after November 8th.
2: Introduce to you the president-elect of the United States of America, Donald Trump.
1: But the morning quiet crescendoed as the sun set.
3: People like Donald Trump don't give a fuck about us. People like Mike Pence who would <laughs>
1: At 8 p.m., students demonstrated outside McKeldin Library to support, protest, and encourage anyone who feels marginalized by the outcomes of the election. People talked about fear of having to change how they look and hide their religion in order to feel safe.
4: Change their how they look?
5: I've seen way too many people wanting to take off their hijab. The, the religious coverage, <laughs> from Muslims. When my sister, when my friends come to me, And say just because of this election they want to take it off, it means a lot.
0: And it means a lot for someone who doesn't wear it.
1: People use the rally to call for action.
0: Are we gonna just gather and scream and say fuck things and fuck Trump and fuck everything? We're We're gonna do something. We gotta do something. This is the start of the resistance today.
1: People suggested concrete ways the community could help those who feel most marginalized by this election result.
4: Volunteer in your marginalized communities. Work in a homeless shelter. Teach children how to read. Woo! Help somebody who doesn't speak English get a job here. Go to all rallies that uh, support the causes you believe in and support causes that other people believe in. And if there are no rallies that support your causes, start one.
1: People were angry. I am furious, but I'm ready. People were unapologetic. As
5: a woman of color, as an immigrant, as a Muslim,
1: am really angry and I will not apologize for my feelings. <laughs> people were proud.
2: Look at all these people. This is amazing. I don't think I've ever been more proud of being a part of UMD than <laughs> I
1: But people were still feeling polarized.
5: Maryland loves to claim that we're diverse, but we are water-
1: There was a person with an upside down flag, a symbol of distress that some took as a symbol of disrespect.
2: I was leaving the library today to go home and someone came up to me and told me that they had the flag upside down and that to me that's just like disrespectful. So I took it upon myself and the kid that told me to go and attempt to flip it up like right ways but they just got violent. and
1: The rally did get physical. But after the altercation was settled, the participants continued to speak.
6: It's up to white people, white allies, to speak for us. Mm -hmm. But when I say speak for us, you have to
5: actually know us.
1: (laughs) A common talking point was recognizing the privilege of white people in this country.
5: If you believe white privilege
6: doesn't exist, then you, my friend, are living in a bubble. (laughs) Woo! Woo!
1: There was a sense of duty to compromise with the soon-to-be leader they themselves were speaking out against.
2: We're going to have to work with Trump on the things he wants that we agree with. I don't like TPP. People here don't like TPP. We agree with him on that. There are things we agree with Trump on.
3: There's a thing we agree with every single person here about. No, you're right.
1: It was a night of response. It was a night to vent. It was a night to support and a night to move forward. It was a rally in defiance of a vote, a system, a person, a nation.
2: Minorities
4: in this election cycle are going to be affected the most. They all— Death. So
5: take the time. Turn the fuck out. Vote next election. Do whatever you possibly can.
6: The rally was about the present
1: and the future. It was about what they will do to deal with the next four years, but the president, they didn't vote for. The
2: only thing that we have to do is just Let our voices be
0: heard. That was Jay Reed reporting on the scene from outside McKeldin Library Wednesday night. One of the people in the crowd that night was senior staff writer Josh Magnus. Here's Josh on what he saw and what he felt.
3: Before the election happened Tuesday night, I planned to have a segment on this podcast about how both candidates, to wildly varying degrees, use the LGBT community more as a rainbow-colored commodity to wrap themselves in as a shallow show of tolerance than anything else. I plan to say that Clinton, no matter how vocal of an ally she claims to be now, for a long time opposed much of what the LGBT people advocated for during the presidency of her husband and time in the U.S. Senate. I plan to say that Donald Trump, despite hoisting a rainbow flag recently on one of his rallies and promising to protect the LGBT community, chose a vice president who advocates for conversion therapy, once suggested that LGBT people can't be objective journalists and, as governor of Indiana, suggested moving funds away from HIV prevention groups to groups that said they could fix LGBT people. But I also plan to celebrate that the vitriol from Trump and Pence was just a minor blip on our collective radar and that now we would push Clinton to be our champion, no matter how much she meant it or not. But now, here we are anticipating Donald Trump to be the 45th President of the United States of America. And I think at this point that discussion isn't even the most important one to have right now. On Wednesday night, I attended a rally on Mckeldon Mall where over 100 students gathered to air their concerns. Wrapped in a rainbow flag emblazoned with the words "Don't tread on me," I stood as I watched people even more susceptible to the damage Trump can inflict on their lives, stand in front of their peers and express nearly every emotion possible. Anger. Terror. Sadness. Depression. Confusion. I saw a Latina student shaking, tears welling up in her eyes as she questioned if her undocumented friends who attend this university could stay in this country. I saw black students, now living under the historic presidency of Barack Obama, coping with the fact that our nation followed up our first black president, with a man who spearheaded a movement questioning his legitimacy as a United States citizen, kicked a black supporter out of his rally for thinking he was a thug, and someone who vocally promotes all lives matter over black lives matter. I saw them coping with the idea that relations with police may grow worse and more strained, their bodies now at even greater risk. I saw a student from Syria, her voice trembling, as she expressed worries about her cousins and grandmother living in her nation that could likely be plunged into even more chaos. I saw multiple Muslim women terrified of the backlash that they may face for wearing an article of clothing to express their faith, including one who said her father, simply waiting outside her apartment complex in his car to pick her up, had university students call the police on him for suspicious behavior. I saw victims of sexual assault wondering how they can have justice if a man bragging about groping women can ascend to the highest office in the land. I saw a gay man who, after the results became official, said he finally came out to his family angry at what President Donald Trump and his vice president might do to roll back the tenuous progress earned in these last eight years. Now, I'm gay, so I can relate to his pain. The other people, I can attempt to empathize. And standing out there that night surrounded by so many people who both do and don't look like me, I think I did, by some measure at least. But I can never fully feel that pain. I thought I was an advocate for these people, somebody willing to stand up for others regardless of race, gender, disability, their faith, because despite my safety that I assume as a white male, I could feel some level of their oppression due to my sexuality. But the scope of the pain I feel opposed to theirs is marginal. And what happens next in these next four years is partially my fault. One quote from a Latina student stands out to me that night. It's nice to see you all here, but where were you guys before? No, literally, like where were you? She's right. As much as I intended to support these groups now facing the possibility of immense oppression, I didn't do enough to take actual action. I talked to my friends, nearly all of whom hold the same beliefs as me, about this. I didn't take to the streets in rallies. I didn't advocate when the chance was there. I sat by, safe in a bubble of privileged, mostly white progressivism. And this country, as divided as it is right now, does that too. We often avoid conflict in our conversations. And sometimes we argue with each other but we don't actually listen to learn from each other. We sit by patiently, our words meaninglessly wafting up into the air so we can shoot back our thoughts in an endless game where no one's mind changes and no new information is processed. We put ourselves into these echo chambers, surrounded by those who agree and look like us, so we can reassure ourselves that we are, in fact, correct. And the result is this a country where we are split so evenly down the middle that it seems like we are two nations, ignorant of each other and unwilling to find common ground, with no definite borders or plan to move forward. So, coming here and talking about the impact of this election on the LGBT community alone is pointless. It's trivial, and it's absolutely damaging. I focus too much on what can solely impact me. Everyone, and when I say this, I'm really talking to a lot of white America, does this too. And look where it's got us. People sobbing. People uncertain. People afraid. People unsure if they fit into this new America, whatever that ends up being. And many with hate in their hearts emboldened. Now, I'm hoping that Donald Trump will prove to be a better president than I and many others think he will be, and that this election won't spur a rise of bias and hate. But if that is not the case, we all need to stop living in our own bubbles and make real connections with others who don't look like us or live like us, understand where they are coming from, find the humanity to feel their anxieties, even if we can't fully wrap our heads around it, and then stand up for them when they need it. Because no matter what shallow attempts at diversity and acceptance this country has made, we certainly haven't succeeded in becoming a nation united. And look where that got us.
0: That was Josh Magnus. Our next segment on this episode of The Dive comes from Anna Muckerman, and it's about the feminist reaction to Hillary Clinton's loss and Donald Trump's victory.
6: When Meredith Pechkonis woke up on Wednesday morning, she didn't feel well.
5: I had this, like, numbness feeling and a very, like, foggy, hazy kind of existence, if that makes sense. Hard to find the, like hope in all of this, I guess, and I think I will eventually, but it's going to take a little bit of time.
6: For feminists of all genders on this Democratic campus, the election of Donald Trump wasn't just shocking, it was sickening. They found it hard to believe that so much of the country was at the very least willing to overlook comments like...
2: And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. <laughs> I can do
6: anything. And.
2: I don't think Ivanka would do that inside the magazine, although she does have a very nice figure. I've said that if Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her.
5: (laughs) I'm generally very pessimistic and cynical, um, but I was, you know, gearing up as the feminist that I am for the first female president.
4: I can't tell you how many times I've cried (laughs) in the last, like, two days.
6: mercedes beyer is a professor from Quebec who studies French feminist literature. She came to the U.S. eight years ago when
4: Obama was first elected. People from Montreal were like, wow, you're going to get to live this. This is such a big deal. You're so lucky. And now, as the candidate
6: promising hope wins for the second time, bayer doesn't feel so lucky. I mean, the fact
4: that somebody like him wins over Hillary Makes me feel like, like it's not just like he's an, a decent human being who won against Hillary. He's somebody who represents values that are against women. Like against women's freedom, against women's bodies.
6: On the day after the election, the New York Times broke down the numbers of women voters and found this. 53% of white women who voted picked Donald Trump. For Hispanic and black women, the numbers were far more skewed towards Hillary Clinton, 94 and 68 percent respectively. Perhaps the women supporting Donald Trump care more about the other issues, the economy for example, or perhaps they agree with Trump's comments on race, even if his comments on women bother them. Maybe they think Donald Trump is a chance for a new life and a hopeful future. Whatever the reasons, they're hard to find on the University of Maryland campus, where almost 10 times the number of people voted for Clinton as Trump. It's a shock
4: for um, people who live on the East Coast and like people who teach higher education or on a co- are on a college campus to realize that the world that we thought we were living in isn't actually the world that we're living in. As for
6: Clinton, both Pechkonis and Bayerjan say the Clinton candidacy was stunted by
5: sexism. In words of my own mother, um, the United States is not ready for a female president, and they made that very apparent. If you look at her objectively, gender aside, she was very qualified
4: to be president. I think that it was much harder for her to build an image because we don't have an image of a woman politician of a wooden president. I think we have a lot of work to do. I was hoping a female
5: president would do that for us, but we'll keep pushing on, I guess.
0: That segment was by Anna Muckerman. Our last story in this episode of The Dive comes from Patrick Basler, And it's about one generation's role in what happened on Tuesday night.
2: On the Wednesday after Donald Trump became president, students at the University of Maryland stumbled to class, awkwardly avoiding each other, like they couldn't remember who they had fucked the night before. Or more accurately, who had fucked them. You could hear the shock in the voices of everyone who hesitantly brought the election up, in the brief speeches professors gave at the beginning of classes, and in the 45 gajillion tweets on my timeline. Of course, it's not just college students who were shocked to learn that they now had a President Trump. Whether because of faith in faulty polls, or a genuine refusal to believe that Donald Trump could become President of the United States, people across the nation, even supporters, were surprised to realize what had happened. And for millennials and college students, it was especially real. It's no secret that students generally vote for Democratic candidates. Millennials are one of the key groups in Barack Obama's decisive electoral victories. And as it turns out, young people voted for Hillary Clinton, too. According to Bloomberg, 55% of voters 18 to 25 voted for the Democratic candidate, a number even higher amongst millennials of color. There are statistics especially true at the University of Maryland. Not only is it a college campus, but it's one in the true blue state of Maryland and in a county where 88% of people voted for Hillary Clinton. At Stamp Student Union, 1,202 students voted for Clinton and only 138 voted for Trump. So the strange silence on campus the next morning made sense. In a lot of ways, college campuses are bubbles. We all root for the same sports team. We all know the same songs, we watch the same TV shows, and we post the same memes. And apparently, we vote the same. But the hardest thing for us to grasp is that the campus of the University of Maryland College Park is not representative of the rest of the country. In fact, most of the nation doesn't care about the Terps. They don't know that Black Beatles is the most poppin' song right now. Their favorite shows are NCIS and The Big Bang Theory, and they don't even know what memes are. And Donald Trump... Is our next president so while the rest of the country didn't see this coming we really didn't see this coming which in some ways is kind of scary colleges are supposed to be diverse places where different ideas are welcome but when those ideas obscure the hidden reality of what America really wants it's more than a little frightening and that fear and surprise was apparent after the election All you have to do to see it, as with most things millennial, is check social media. You might think that social media is one of the ways that college students can break that bubble, see beyond the world directly presented to them on campus. But instead, right now, It's full of viral posts about the problems with the Electoral College, jokes about Joe Biden, of all people, and semi-naked pictures of our future First Lady. It's also home to a number of touching posts by millennials who are truly frightened by what a Trump presidency holds for them. Muslim students who are worried about violence acted against them for who they are undocumented students who were scared that this might be their last year in the United States, and young women who hate the idea of a man who promoted sexual assault being their president. Millennials might be in a bubble, but that bubble chose a leader loud and clear. And that choice was overridden by people twice their age, people who looked at what millennials wanted for the future of the United States and said, no, I don't think so. Which, for an entire generation, is a painful thing to hear. So while the Facebook posts of anger, the bitter jokes on Twitter, and the depression naps might not do anything real to change the future of the country, it's understandable. Because millennials just had their bubble burst. And not only did they just hit the real world, they hit a real world with Donald Trump as president.
0: That's it for this episode of The Dive. You'll notice that there are more silences than usual in this episode, more pauses. Often we edit them out of our essays and our interviews, but there were a lot here. People had trouble finding the right words to say, and we had trouble finding the right way to capture what they meant and what's going on, so we just kept them in. Things may get better with time, and I hope they get better with time. And we know that not every view of every person on this campus is represented in this podcast. But this is what's going on right now with us, and with the majority of the students around us. I'd like to consider a snapshot of our university at the end of this, the week that we chose a new leader. Thanks to Patrick Basler, Anna Muckerman, Jay Reed, and Josh Magnus for helping me take it.